This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, praise God, man. I'm, I'm very excited about the message today. We've been working on this for a little while, and we want to have a uh, kind of a, a theme for our Christmas season this year. And we're going to get into some great stuff later on about how we're going to make an awesome opportunity for you to uh, invite people on the Christmas service. You know, a lot of times people are like, well, I don't even know what to say. Well, we've worded it for you. Basically, all you have to do is give somebody an invitation. It's it's super easy. But we, why are we doing that? And I was talking to Katie about that this morning. Why are we doing that? Because I want to see people get into the kingdom of God. I want people to have the hope that we have. I want people to have the peace that we have. And they're surely to goodness not getting that on their own out there. And I know where they can get that. And so we want to make a way for them to get that. Amen. If you need an outline for the message this morning, raise your hands. And the ushers uh, would be glad to get you one. And, um, you know, this morning, I, I come in on Sunday mornings a lot of times. I came in here like 6 o'clock this morning and prayed over the place, prayed over you guys, and uh, just asked for God's presence to be here. And I believe that God's presence is here today. He's met us. And, you know, usually I'm a, you know, I, I like to laugh and joke a lot. And then I'm, I guess, a little bit more of a serious uh, uh, um, mood this morning as we talk about this. And here's what we're getting at. The title of the message is this. It's starting this series called The Light. The Light. Because Jesus, what is he? He's the light of the world. He's the great I am. And I mean, we're going to look at some verses here to show that. But the main purpose, the main thing we're going to get to today is the purpose of the light. The purpose of the light. What it is that Jesus does in our life. And uh, the first thing we're going to open up to is John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, who loves the Word of God in here? Amen. Talk about a good Christmas present. Wow, you've got the Word of God right there. You've got Jesus. And this verse I'm getting ready to read tells us that Jesus is the Word. You've got Jesus right here every day, 365 days a year. This coming year is a leap year, so 366 days for 2020. You've got Jesus right there at your home. You can spend time with Him every day. I'm going to do something that I've never done before, and I see some pe- some preachers do this. I just feel the need to do this today. I'm going to ask us to stand up as we read a few verses here together, out of reverence and out of out of our love and devotion for Jesus. And you're like, man, I didn't come here to stand up. Well, Jesus stood up for you one day right come on now and so i don't ever do this but i just i feel uh, just just the sense to honor jesus a little bit today if we saw some great singer come in people would stand up if we saw some brilliant mind come in people would have no problem standing up some diplomat people would stand up for that but i didn't need a diplomat and i didn't need a singer and i didn't need an educator i needed a savior and jesus came in and did that and so i've got zero bones about If he tells me to wake up early, I'm going to do it. If he tells me to go somewhere, consider it done. He did it for me. Amen. And so I just want to, you don't have to read it out loud with me, but you can follow along because this is powerful, man. This is John, one of Jesus' best friends, talking about the beginning. And it says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light 
to everyone. Has his life brought light to your world? Oh, man, has it. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Wow, John was telling him about that. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Think about that. He came, he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. Hallelujah. That's it right there, man. The word came among us and lit up our world, man. He lit us up. That's Jesus right there. He's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And if you've ever needed unfailing love and faithfulness, now's a good time for you to say amen today. Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning. And I, I just I want to I want to reverence and honor Jesus. My my biggest desire in life, and I know that you would say the same thing, is that I, you know, I'm fine if I don't ever die a billionaire. I'm fine if I'm never famous and, and people know my name. But I want to serve Jesus well. I want to make him proud. And I don't want to show up to the throne empty-handed. I want to have some crowns to lay down at the feet of Jesus when I get to the party. You know what I mean? And that comes by obeying him and doing what he told us to do. And so we're going to talk about the light today. And there's a few things we're going to say about this. But if you'll listen up, man, I know that this is going to do something for you. It's going to light up your world because that's what Jesus does everywhere he goes. He brings the light. And so the first thing we're going to say about the light is this. Number one is that it exposes the hidden things. The light. Jesus, he exposes the hidden things. Have you ever gone into a really dark room, but you didn't know what was actually in that room until you turned on the light switch? You're like, oh, man, wow, what in the world is going on in here? You know, oftentimes, if you've got little kids like me, uh, you maybe you're walking through the house in the middle of the night to go get something, and and you step on something. Has that ever happened to you? And you're like, what is, did somebody lay like a, a, a machete on the floor? What is this? You turn the light on, and it's a Lego. Your kids left a Lego down there. And you had you didn't know it. The darkness hid that little thing, and you hurt yourself on it. But when the light came instantly... You could see what the darkness was hiding because the light, it exposes the hidden things that are in the dark. You know, I was also thinking about a few years ago, uh, me and Jesse Garcia, I don't know if Jesse's in here right now, but... Okay, there, me and Jesse, we went to Indiana. I wanted to show them where I grew up at. And so anyway, I'm like, let's go. I'm going to go show you Redneckville. So we get on the plane. We go over there. And I keep telling them, man, there's this place is crawling with deer. They're a nuisance because a lot of guys at church, our church at that time were getting into deer hunting. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not a deer hunter, but I grew up around massive, huge white-tailed deer. They're huge. 
And, and, and so it's been a few days, and Jesse's like, man, you were just pulling my leg. So one night, me and Jesse and, and my friend Jeff, we pull up to this cornfield. You know, it's empty because it had been harvested already. And I shined the bright lights on, and out in that middle of the field, about, I think we counted seven deer just come scattering, running all over the place. And I'm like, I told you they're here, but they were hiding in the darkness. And as soon as we put that light on, man, they scattered everywhere, but they were there the whole time because the light, it exposes the hidden things in this world. And so I want to show you something here in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. So there, there, there were things hiding. Have you ever had the light? Have you ever had Jesus expose some things in your life? Now, sometimes people are like, well, that sounds bad. Well, of course, that could mean he's exposed some hidden things that, that were sin, right? I've had that. You've had that. But I've also had times that the light of Jesus came in and it exposed some good things within me that I didn't even know were there. Maybe some talents, maybe some gifts, maybe some positive things that I didn't even really realize were there. But either way, the light comes in and it exposes hidden things. Sometimes that's really great. Sometimes that can be bad. But that's just the fact of the matter is that when Jesus comes in, he lights the room up. He lights a person's life up. And so Ephesians 5 verses 11 through 14, it says, Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Okay, I'm going to follow that advice. Instead, expose them. Wait, we're supposed to? No. Well, this does to expose them. Verse 12, it is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. What does the light do? It makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, go sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So, I mean, we're not putting anybody on the spot here, but I can raise my hand and say, hey, there have been times that the light, Jesus came in, and he exposed some things within me. He lit some things up that I didn't want to be lit up, that I would have rather have kept in secret and hidden, but Jesus, for my good, came and lit it up. And I said, okay, I've got a choice. I can either try to push this back down and hide it, or I can say, Jesus knows anyway. Let's deal with this because here's a little secret for you. Jesus, everything that he does for you and tells you to do is for your benefit. He does not tell you to do something to hurt you or to, uh, or, or, or to, to bring damage to your life or to try to take away your fun. Or to, you know, hold you down or, or hold you back and make you live like it's the 50s. He, that's not what Jesus is doing. Everything he does is so our life can be better. The light came and it brought life to everyone. We just read that in John 1. When the light comes, he brings life. And so absolutely, there's been times that the light has come and it's, it's lit some things up in my world. And in the end, I say, thank you, Jesus, for doing that, because I don't like somebody that'll lie to me to avoid hurting my feelings. I don't like people like that. That's dangerous. And in our society, we love people that'll just tell us what we want to hear, whether it's blatantly obvious that we are going to really screw our life up. That's what this generation, this world likes. They want to be told everything's fine. And sometimes the fact of the matter is that it's not fine. And Jesus, I 
love him so much because he loves me enough to tell me the truth, even if it's going to hurt my feelings, because he'd rather stop me from driving off the edge of the cliff. Amen. And so I can still have a life so I can still be here so I can still do something for him. I'm thankful that Jesus is truth. He's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the father except through him. And so that's what the light does. Let me show you something here in John chapter three, because if you look around very much, you can tell that there are some people that don't appreciate the light being shined on them. Anybody? Anybody have a wife like I have that if you turn the light switch on in the morning, you're going to see like the grizzly side come out. Anybody? Come on. Yeah. Okay. We some husbands are raising hands and I, I respect that. Some women are pointing at themselves. Okay, very good. So, you know, there's sometimes that people don't appreciate the light so much. And, uh, and, and, and I get that. But let me show you something here about Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 20. It says, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Now, <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's that's pretty legit. That's pretty hardcore right there. And um, we're not calling any of our friends evil. But have you ever wondered why some people are just terrified to come into a church? You know, and, and we're not I'm not putting anybody down, but I invite some people and oh, dear God, if I came into that place I'll tell you what, right now, man, lightning would come down. That place would crash to the ground. No, it wouldn't. Absolutely. You think the very place that God's been trying to get you to for years. He was just getting you here so he could strike you with lightning and kill you inside of the church. It's not going to happen, man. If anything, you're going to have the most, it's going to be perfect for you. But there are a lot of people, they don't want to be around you. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. And sometimes just the light, that's you're not out there preaching at them. You're not out there telling them they're wrong and all this stuff. But just the light that comes off of you, it makes some people uncomfortable. And you're wondering, man, what's wrong with him? I didn't do. I mean, I've been working here for years, and he's he's just always. I don't know what it is. Did I do something? No, you didn't do anything wrong. You have the light on the inside of you. And sometimes people, whether they they would they they probably couldn't articulate this, they probably couldn't put it in words, and they would surely never admit to it. But they don't want to be around you. Because of fear, the light will expose some hidden things. I mean, that's not, I'm not making this up. I'm just reading it right here out of, out of the God's word. And certainly, if they don't want to be around you, they really don't want to be around your big brother, Jesus. Because, man, if you're some kind of a flashlight, you're not. You're the light of the world. But think about how big Jesus is, the light that comes from him if you get up close to him. Now, if you're a child of God, if you're in the family, you love this stuff, man. You're like, yeah, the light, absolutely. I want to be in the light as he is in the light. And you know what I mean? Amen. And so you get that, and this excites you, but to somebody that's living in the kingdom of darkness, this doesn't excite them. It terrifies them because it means some things are going to show up that nobody knew about. And so... He says, he says that some people absolutely hate the light and they refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Verse 21, it says, but those who do what's right, they come to the light so others can see that they're doing what God wants. So we've got two reactions to the light here. We've got people that hate it and we've got people like you that love it 
because you want to run to the light and you want God to light up things in your life and show you what you're doing right. And if you're a genuine, mature Christian, you want God to show you what you're doing wrong so you can quit doing it. I'm, I don't want to. I mean, if I'm doing something wrong, if I'm missing it somewhere, please tell me. I want to know. I don't want to keep missing it. I don't want to keep messing up because I want God to be able to do everything he can do in my life and through my life. And and I want to serve him the best that I can. And so right here, it tells us there's a lot of people that hate the light. Now, Christmas time, we see this. Uh, Have you noticed this? I mean, people, they get they get triggered over some of this Jesus stuff. And it just shocks me like. It's a baby and a, a nativity's getting attacked. It's a it's a statue of a baby, and it 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 absolutely makes you explode so much that you just can't stand the sight of that. Why is that? The darkness hates the light because it exposes things, you know. And I mean, just a kind of just this morning, just about three or four hours ago, I got on my computer and I googled nativity vandalism just to see i haven't looked at it up this year because there's always stuff and so i've got i had two stories instantly pop up from within the last three days here's the first one i saw this was in phoenix a couple days ago this lady puts up a nativity in her yard an older lady someone comes attacks nativity and spray paints her garage with this what is she it's baby jesus dude come on you it triggers you that much you have that much darkness that you can't even you can't even let somebody put up something on their own property in their own yard without attacking them. I'm like, man, Jesus, you weren't kidding. People do hate the light. This next one I saw, this was here in England. Some people stole baby Jesus and decapitated him. Isn't that awful? This is just on, uh, I think, the 5th of this month, a couple days ago, four days ago or something like that, three days ago. And they, they had to attack. They left everything else, but they took little baby Jesus and cut his head off. I mean, isn't that wild that a little baby, a, a, a little statue of a little baby, uh, you, you've got that much in you. Why would somebody do something like that? I'm not sitting here crying over it. People are crazy. But, but what I'm saying is this, this light that we have. It must be super powerful that people and devils and demons would do everything they could for thousands of years to try to snuff that light out and do anything they could to try to put the light out. But the light just shines brighter, doesn't it? Jesus just, I mean, come on. It doesn't shut Jesus down. It doesn't hurt heaven. Listen to me. Jesus is as bright as he's ever been because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. And then I, I read this also little story here. Uh, this is in California. Uh, just a, this, this past week, a kid wanted to play Joy to the World for the school Christmas program. Not sing it. Played on the piano. The school said no. Yeah, that's a, you know, that mentions things about Jesus and heaven and nature singing. And, and so they said, you can't do it. So the mom called the Pacific Justice Institute, who we support. <laughs> Amen. 
And I heard this on the radio. I was just listening to the, I hardly ever listen to the actual radio, but I was like, I'm going to party like it's 1982. And I just popped that FM on and I, and this story came on and, uh, and, and, and they told this story. So the mom calls the Pacific Justice Institute. They send, uh, they send a nicely worded letter to the school district. And the parents got a call back that day. You know what? We've changed our mind. She can play joy to the world. That's fine. That's fine. Because they were getting ready to have the pants suit off of them. And they were going to pay the price. Because kids can talk about Jesus. They can bring a Bible to school. They can take the light of the world with them. Amen. You're not going to put the light out. People have tried for 2,000 years to put the light out and don't let anybody in this generation think that they're the best or that they're the one that's going to finally get the job done. The light will not be put out because that light is the life of mankind. Amen. And so we've seen what he can do. And you could just write this down. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Amen. We read in John 1 where John was recording all this stuff, but, but then Jesus rolls up on the scene himself, and everyone's like, oh, man, it's dark out there. Hey, don't worry about the darkness. I am the light of the world. I love that stuff. That's my Jesus. And he comes and he exposes hidden things. But what's something else that the light does? Number two, the light gives you direction. The light gives you direction. Is there anybody in here that's ever needed some directions? You, you know, we, hey. It's not fun being lost. Let's look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we're going to look at verse 105. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible, and it's mainly about how much David loves God's Word. It's one of my favorite chapters, and David keeps saying how much he's obsessed with God's Word. He calls it by different names. He calls it your law your decrees, your word, your, you know, he, he, your, he, your teaching. He, he calls it all these different things. But you've got this whole chapter, I think it's 176 verses, it, and it's all about how much David is obsessed with God's word. And you're almost like, whoa, man, airbag. You're, you're getting a little obsessive there, brother. But no, because God says something about David that he didn't say about anybody else that's ever lived in the history of the world. And what is that? He said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now, I believe there's been other people that are after God's heart, but he just didn't say that about anybody else. He said it about David. And so David was obsessed with God's word, with his law, with his decrees. He loved it. He was obsessed with it. And, and we can see the results. But he said in Psalm 119, 105, he said, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Who could say amen to that today? His word. If you don't know which way to go, pick up the word right here. His word is a lamp to guide your feet. It's a light for your path. You're stumbling around there in the darkness. Pick the light up, man. Shine it on the path, and you'll know which way to go. He'll direct you if you're using the light. And I know... You know, in our day and age, it's a little harder to get lost than it used to be because we do have GPS and it's extremely accessible. Now, everybody has GPS. Now, every now and then you can still, you know, make somehow get a wrong turn or something. But it's it's if you can actually get lost, that's almost a talent in this day and age. If you could actually pull that off. But at the same time, is there anybody in here that's ever been lost? Okay. 
I, you know, and I, I've been lost. And for most of my adult life, so when I first got my driver's license, we had MapQuest, right? And we didn't have, not everybody had GPS, but most, I guess a lot of people did, but I didn't. And so, you know, I'd go onto my, my desktop computer before I left home. I'd type in the directions on MapQuest.com. I'd print them out and I'd follow it. And that was, so I've never really had to actually use a map to get around someplace, but it sounds like a really great cool thing. And, and then, and then we had GPS come around and, and, and it gives us these step-by-step directions. And it's so nice. You make a wrong turn and you know, it's like free computing, take your next right. And it tells you exactly what to do. And then friendly, aren't we glad that it doesn't be like, man, moron, you made a wrong turn. Told you exactly what to do, stupid. No, no, next right turn, turn around at your next possible thing. It's super nice, super friendly. We love it. It's good. But I've been lost before. And I remember this one time, uh, this me and Josh, well, I've got a few stories, but one time it was after we, we scored free tickets to the Indy 500, the big race in Indianapolis. Uh, not a racing guy, even though I grew up there, but it's kind of cool. It's the single, the largest single day sporting event in the world. So 400,000 people converge on this racetrack that's 2.5 miles in diameter. It's a lot of people in a small space. So, course you can't park close we didn't have any smartphones and stuff i had some friends from holland that i went to college with and they were really into racing i mean they were as into racing as as americans are into watching the super bowl or something so when they found out that my brother josh he had a method of calling into the local radio station and and getting free tickets and i don't he can reveal that someday but anyway so he gets these uh four tickets right on the final turn of the racetrack, uh, right there, right at the finish line. So we got, we got these great seats. I'm not a racing guy, but it was, it was awesome to be there. It was so loud. It was, it was really, really cool. But when we get there, what most people do is all the neighborhoods around, you can just drive up to someone's house and ask them how much they'll charge you to park there. Then they'll give you a ride to the racetrack. So we pay this guy like 20 bucks to give us, park our car there, give us a ride. And, uh, and we're like, okay. Locked in. We know exactly where he lives. Very good. Let's go to the race. So after the three-hour race, that it was hot. It was Memorial Day weekend. It was hot. We get out of the track. Okay, let's go find our car. We had no idea. Indianapolis is a pretty good city. About a million people live there. So we had no idea where in the city of Indianapolis our car was. We walked for hours and hours hours we had no gps none of this stuff and i had my dad was out here in california at the time this must have been 2006 he was out here at the church's memorial day pickup he knows the city of indianapolis really well so i'm like dad i'm by this park over here and he's like oh okay i think i know where you're at so he's trying to get us there like three hours later of we we find we were out of water i mean we were but we felt like we were going to die i can tell you this much being lost stinks it was awful i don't ever want to do that again ever yet there's some people in this world they may didn't get lost at the racetrack but they are lost in their life and they keep wandering further and further from the light but the thing is the further away they get from it the darker it gets it doesn't make things better it makes things worse and 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 they're wandering around and then what confuses me beyond anything is I've had some lost experiences, and I hate them. I don't ever want to relive that. Some people were lost. They get found. Then they wander off and want to go get lost again. Why would you do that? 
It was no fun the first time, and it's only worse the second time because now you feel embarrassed and guilty and full of shame and regret. I don't ever want that to happen again. And so we've learned, and I'm sure you've had these experiences too, that being lost isn't fun, but the Word of God, it gives us direction so we can avoid that type of situation from ever happening again. And I want to show you something here in Psalm 37, verse 4. This isn't on your handout. I just This is a, a recent addition to the sermon. Psalm 37, and verse 4. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of times, maybe it's not that we're lost and wandering in the wilderness, but a lot of times we just need direction because we don't know which way to go next. It's not that we're out there lost in the, the wilderness of sin or something like that. That was a real place in the Bible. But anyway, it's not that we're out there wandering around in the wilderness of sin, but we just simply like, okay, God, I'm here. I'm serving you. What next? What's the next step? I have people ask me this all the time. How do I know what to do next, especially young people, young adults? Well, I don't know which direction to go with my life next. I'm here. I'm serving God, I, but I want to know what's going on next. And Psalm 37, 4 is an interesting verse because I believe we can get two different, correct connotations and interpretations from it. Psalm 37, 4, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. And that's the truth. You delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you your heart's desires. Well, I, I get two applications out of this. The first thing is I delight myself in the Lord and he gives me the things that I want in this life. Well, that sounds selfish. Well, then why'd the Bible say that? That's not selfish. It's biblical. It's okay. If you've got godly desires for God to give them to you, there's nothing wrong with wanting God to to give you nice things in life. Nothing wrong with that at all. Third John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So if God was against you prospering, then why did he say, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health? I don't think God's confused. I think a lot of people are confused. But anyway, so one application of this verse is definitely delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the things that you want, good, godly things. But another application that I look out of is this. When we will delight ourselves in the Lord and start putting him first in our life, he will drop the desires in our heart that we need to have in there. Man, maybe you used to have bad desires in there. You used to have desires for, to hurt people. You used to have desires to steal things and, uh, you know, be with people you weren't married to, whatever the case, uh, bad desires. You start delighting yourself in the Lord. You start serving him. He will place good desires, the desires into your heart. And maybe you're thinking, well, I, I just don't know what to do next. Start delighting yourself in the Lord. He will put the desires in your heart. To, and, and after a while, you're thinking, man, I could really see myself doing this in life. I could really see myself becoming this. I could, I could really see myself. I mean, I, I could really see this. Uh, where's this coming from? Well, you probably delighted yourself in the Lord, and he started giving you desires in your heart. And you don't even know it. Is this me? Is this selfish that I want this? It's not selfish. God's giving you desires in your heart. And, and what's he saying, Jeremiah 11? He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future, plans to prosper you, to deliver you. They're plans for good, not for evil. God's got some great plans for your life. And a lot of times people don't ever figure out what those are. You won't ever figure it out 
until you start getting that word into your heart. His word will become a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path, and he will show you what it is you're supposed to be doing in life. And I thank God for that because I don't like being lost. I don't like being confused. I don't like not knowing what to do next. And the word will light it up step by step. He'll start showing you what to do next. Another quick, someone asked me this the other day. Well, how come? I just wish God would just show me the whole thing. Why doesn't he tell me right now? Easy. Easy answer. Because if God told you the what you know, what your final destination is, if God told you the whole grand scheme right now, you would instantly go out and try to make it all happen in your own power and screw the whole thing up. I would. If God told me, you know, what my, my, the big final picture is, I'd be like, oh, okay, now I know what it is. I'll just put all this and then I'll get out of the car and I'll take the airplane over there. I'll get in the spaceship and just streamline this because I'm an American and I like things really fast. But thank God he doesn't tell me the, 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 the very end right now where I'm at because God leads me in steps. It says the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. It doesn't say the big giant astronomical leaps. It says the steps of a good man. And so one of the fruit of the spirit is patience. I'm just walking with Jesus every day, one step at a time. Sometimes he says, hey, step over this way. Sometimes it's that way. But I'm following him, and I don't know about you, I'm glad that he doesn't give me too much information all at once because I'd either screw it up and foul it up in my own way or it would be so big that I probably wouldn't even be able to believe how much God wants to do in my life. And the same thing's true for you. He wants to do something so big, you probably wouldn't even believe it right now. You'd probably start speaking words and just shoot it right in the foot, right? Okay, we talked about the men's meeting yesterday. Some of my guys, guys, you left me hanging right there, man. Come on. Can I get an amen from the men? All right. Some of these ladies are outdoing you boys. All right. So the word will light up your path. And the third thing we're going to say about the word today is this, about Jesus, about the light of the world, is that he gives us hope. He gives us hope. His plans are to give us hope and a future. Three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Hope is, it's one of those Bible words that most Christians don't fully understand, or they think they do, but they really don't. And, and you know, I'm like, you're using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. You know what I mean? And so, uh, people, they seem to understand faith, believing without seeing. Bingo, we got this. They seem to understand love, for the most part. Whether they practice it or not is debatable. But at the same time, they seem to understand what the concept of love is. But there's a lot of people that they don't really seem to understand what hope is. What is hope? Hope is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful word. And it's a beautiful thing. Because hope is the precursor to my faith. Hope is that initial spark that happens when I feel like I'm at rock bottom, when I've been lost, and all of a sudden somebody tells me about Jesus, then there's a little spark. Wait a minute. Wow. It's possible for things to get better? It's possible that I don't have to raise my kids like I was raised? Like I, It's possible that I don't have to have this disease? It's possible that I could be the first one in my family to, to have some money and to graduate school? And it's possible? That I could make it out of this? That's hope. Hope says, wow, it could really be possible. 
And faith says, oh man, not only is it possible, but God's going to do this. It will happen. Amen. Hope says it could happen. Faith says, oh, it's getting ready to happen, man. It's the precursor. You got to have some hope before you can get into that realm of faith. And you got to have faith if you're going to get prayers answered and received from God. It's huge that you have hope. And so whenever somebody's like, man, I've lost hope. Don't you don't don't I mean, don't throw that phrase around lightly. That's a bad, bad thing. If, if you're in a spot where you don't even have any hope. Man, we're going to get in the ditch with you. We're going to we're not going to leave you there. We're going to pull you out just like Jesus pulled us out. Get some hope pumped into you. Get you back to life, man. So you've got faith that you are going to make it, that you are going to succeed, and something great is going to happen within your life. It's going to happen. But I'm telling you right now, man, the only way to get true hope is for the light of the world to come in and light up your path. Without Jesus, man, oh my gosh, think about if Jesus had never been born. Think about if King Herod was able to actually kill him like he wanted to when Jesus was a baby. Think about all this. Think of, think of if the people that had tried to kill Jesus throughout those 33 years, what if one of them had been successful? We had no Jesus. What if Jesus had stayed dead and he didn't make it back up out of hell? We would be hopeless. I'd have no hope. Zero. Period. Zero hope without Jesus. Because it, it would be like, man, this world's bad, but it's, it's probably going to get worse. No. It's not that way. And no matter what goes on in this life, if you're a born-again Christian, you've got this eternal perspective that this, what you see, this isn't my home. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through, right? My treasures are in heaven. I've got that hope everywhere I go. The word and the light, it gives us hope. I want to look something here at Psalm 27. Psalm 27 Verse 1. Do any of you remember when you first came to Jesus? Anybody? When you very first came to Jesus? Do you remember that excitement? I I mean, we see this all the time. We're a soul-winning church. We're a disciple-making church. This is not strange for us to see somebody come in that was hopeless, helpless, and on their final straw give their life to Jesus, now they've got the joy of the Lord and they're beaming from ear to ear and they're happy, they're joyful, they, they've got it going on right now. But do you remember that initial joy that came when you brought Jesus into your life and you surrendered and said, I can't do it on my own, I need help, you gave it to Jesus. There's no greater feeling than that when the light first comes in, if you're receiving the light. I remember going up in Indiana we had some real winters, okay? And, uh, and I mean, there's places colder than that, for sure. But we had some legit winters. And I, that's why I love Barstow winter. I love winter out here, man. I, I'll take the coldest, hardest you can throw at us. I love it. It's awesome. Because I realize it's not really that bad in the end. But still, I remember, man, it seems like from about the end of November, and I could have a skewed perspective, but I think I'm right. Maybe some of you other people get but 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 it feels like... Gray clouds move in about the end of November, and you pretty much don't have a sunny day till about February or March. You've got about three or four months of gray and cold and rain and snow and ice. And, and I'm telling you, man, 
if you don't have any sunshine for several months, it starts to get to you. It, it really does. And so every year, every year, there, around March, around the beginning of March, there will come this beautiful day when all of a sudden these gray clouds part. The gray breaks away, and then the sun, which we thought was no longer in existence, still exists. The sun comes out. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. If you've lived somewhere colder in the Midwest, that first day of sunshine after three months of none, people are in the best mood ever. Everywhere you go, every store, every restaurant, walking down the street, there's almost a skip and even even Scrooge's step, man. Everybody is in a fantastic mood. I love that day. Now, I don't get experience that anymore because I've got about 360 days of sunshine on my hands, and I love it, and it's great. But you don't sometimes appreciate how awesome the light is until you've seen a little bit of the darkness, and you're like, oh, my gosh, wow. Wow, the light. The light. It's here. You love the light. If you've ever had some gray and, and some doom and gloom, and you love the light. It doesn't, it doesn't scare you. You love it. And so... Psalm 27, I'm talking about the light gives us hope. Psalm 27, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? That's a great question right there. That's a question for you. Why are you afraid right now? Is the Lord your light and salvation? Raise your hand if the Lord is your light and salvation. Okay, that's pretty good for a church. That's pretty good. But the Lord, if he's your light and your salvation, the psalmist says, wait a minute. He's my light. Why should I be afraid? Well, if my money was my light and my salvation, I'd be afraid right now. If the economy and the politics and the people of some person was my light, but no person is my light and salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? I shouldn't be afraid. And then what's it say after that? The Lord is my fortress protecting me for danger. So why should I tremble? I shouldn't, and I won't, because God is still on the throne. Nobody kicked God out. Nobody came and took over heaven and overthrew heaven. And, and No, he's still there. Jesus is still seated at the right hand of God. And the good news for me is that I win 100% of the fights that I get into if I'm fighting the good fight of faith. That sounds bold. Sure does. That sounds a little, whatever it sounds like. I win every single scrape and scrap that I get into if I'm doing it through Jesus and through faith. Every time. I never lose. That's arrogant. No, I'm bragging on Jesus right now. Because it says, I always triumph in Christ Jesus. Thanks be unto God, who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Yea, despite all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. If I'm doing it in God's way and in God's strength, I never lose. Well, what if they kill you? Bingo, that's the biggest victory of all time. I'm going to heaven now. You can scare me with death. Are you kidding me? Man, death is not a defeat. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's better off, man. You can't scare a Christian by killing them. They're just going to heaven. There is no possible way to defeat the Christian that is living their life in Christ Jesus. We win every single time. 
If that didn't excite you, Hebrews 6.19, let's try this one. Hebrews 6.19, I want you to see this. Who's excited that the light came into this world? And you're not doing this on your own. You are not alone. Hebrews 6.19, this is a powerful, powerful verse. You should highlight this. You should you should put a star beside this. You should do something to draw attention to this in your Bible. This better catch your eye when you're reading Hebrews six. Hebrews six nineteen. It says this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So what is hope? Hope is an anchor for my soul. When things seem like they're so bad that I would drift away and get lost. Hope anchors me and keeps me where I need to be. The light of the world. Jesus is my hope. He's an anchor for my soul. What does an anchor do? It keeps you in place. Well, I don't really feel it right now. I, I feel like, like I'm, I mean, I'm about to hit rock bottom. That's perfect. Why? Because an anchor doesn't actually work until it hits the bottom of the ocean floor. Otherwise, it's just floating around. When you feel that you've hit rock bottom, man, put the anchor down while you're there, and then you're not going to float off. He's going to keep you planted and give you direction and light up your world like you've never seen before. Somebody ought to say amen right now and give God a little bit of praise, man. Come on. He's the anchor For your soul. Well, I feel like I've hit rock bottom. Perfect. Put the anchor down while you're there, man. And watch what Jesus can do in your life. I'm going to read this one more time. Uh, Hebrews 6, 18 and 19 in the Message Bible. I love the the view, the, the light, the angle that this shines on it. It says, we who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. Is there anybody in here besides me that you've ran to God for your very life? Somebody. You, I mean, it was, what the devil was chasing you. Somebody, it was all coming down. You ran to God for your very life and you grabbed on to that promised hope with both hands and you're never gonna let go. It's an unspeakable spiritual lifeline. Reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. Tell me that hope isn't important. Tell me right now that hope is not. It is important. It's an anchor for my soul. Anytime that the devil thinks he's going to get me to drift up, man, I am planted right there and I'm not going anywhere. Why? John 1. Because the light of the world, it came down here. He was born. People hated He came into the very earth he created and people didn't recognize him. His own people rejected him and put him on a cross, drove nails into his hands, slapped him around, embarrassed him in front of his mom and his brothers and sisters. He died the most shameful death in the history of the world. And the weird part is, the crazy part is, he volunteered for it. Daddy didn't force him. Nobody, he volunteered. He's like, you know what, if that's what it takes to save Dave McNeil. If that's what it's going to take to get old Frank over there, my God, I'm going to do it right now. Send me. I'll do it. If that's what it's going to take to get Troy and Rahul and Mike, if that, if it takes that, I'm your man. I'll go right now. He came down, man, into this world, was born on a beautiful night, 
Christmas, right? We know the story. And, and, and here he comes. This little baby comes in and lights up the entire world. Man, I would have loved to have been there that night and seen that when the word himself came into this world and lit it up. And it's never been the same since then. That's the reason that I, I love the light, man. I don't hate the light. I don't run from the light. I run to the light because it saved my life. It's the anchor of my soul. I'm holding on with both hands, and nobody's going to get me to let go. Jesus is my everything. And I know I'm not the only one in this room right now. If Jesus is your light and he's your everything, I want you to stand up this morning and give God a little bit of the praise that he deserves because he deserves more than what we're giving him. He deserves more than what we're giving him. Amen. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. God, we love you. You are so, so good to us. We don't deserve it. Lord, you, you lived the perfect life. I lived the messed up one and you traded your life for mine. You traded my messed up stuff for your perfect stuff. Lord, I love you and I praise you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org. 